0: The biggest thing for me was like, I'm so self-conscious, like people are going to hate me. Like I'm scared that I'll say the wrong thing or that they'll say I'm wrong, even though I think I'm right. So I think what I sort of intuitively did was focus on the authenticity and focus on things that I knew well.
1: Louder than words. The first thing I want to do is like, I want you to take me back to, and this will be the first time in history somebody says, take me back to 2021 because like those were weird times. But I want you to take me back to like the summer, like right about now, two years ago, you were in the midst of joining SparkToro. And around that same time, you were really leaning into building up your personal brand. Because I remember like when we first got connected, like you had me on the podcast at-
0: At Growth Machine.
1: Growth Machine. Yeah. And- I would always see your posts in my feed, right? But then it became a point where I'm pretty sure like my mom would also see your posts in her feed. (laughs) That's an exaggeration. But like, just to illustrate how much you, like your content and you as a personal brand sort of blew up and expanded, right? During that time. So like, take me back to that point in your career, that summer where the convergence of those two things were happening. You were making this big career change and teaming up with Rand. And Casey at Spark Toro. And then you were really leaning into your personal brand. And then just what was the motivation behind all of that?
0: Yeah. I think at that point, that was like, you know, I had just joined Spark Toro after meeting Rand and his wife, Geraldine DeReuter, at a restaurant where we met for the first time. Like, and it felt like old friends meeting for the first time. And we, we just hung out for a couple hours, chit-chatted, and then I ended up pitching them on a role at SparkToro, or them, well, slash Rand, <laughs> right? And was like, well, I was employed at the time, so my reasoning was, well, I'm not desperate. Like, if he says no, like, that's fine. Like, I still have a job, and it's okay. But then he was like, oh, this is interesting. Let me think about this. Let me go back to my co-founder, Casey, and we'll talk about it. And then it actually happened, And I think I was just at this point where I was like, I can't believe this happened. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? Like I built up a personal brand of like, at this point, I don't know how many like Twitter followers I had. It was probably something like around 20 or 30,000. And then I had like a dream job with SparkToro where we very much, you know, care about work life integration, mental health, doing things that. Are easily scalable for us and our capabilities. Like it's very much, you know, a great culture fit, right? And I think I was just one, mostly just in a state of awe and shock, of like not really believing where I was. But then also, I think feeling some pressure, right? Like the marketing team at SparkToro is basically me and Rand. And when you work with Rand Fishkin, well, one, he's the best marketer you could work with, right? He can say anything on the fly can like speak to kind of any topic really and if he can't he'll fully admit it so he's like the best spokesperson to have and somebody who you can say like hey we need a quick video on this thing like do you have time and he's like no problem and then 20 minutes later he'll send you a Google Drive link with a flawless 60 second video and you're like oh okay amazing so we already kind of had that but for me as like as the also the person who's executing, Like I felt some pressure to be like, well, I have to be that good or like I have to like bring out my inner Rand. So I did spend a lot of that time like a part of the reason I really was focused on the personal brand part was really wanting to live up to my colleagues, you know, like then I was like saying yes to all the podcasts and pitching myself to join. I think at that point I was recording four podcasts per week. I didn't even know that many podcasts existed (laughs) in our (laughs) space. And like was just trying to churn out as much content as I could because I was like, this is what we do. Like, this is how it goes. So that's what it was like a couple of years ago.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And like this is probably a loaded question, but what type of impact it has Rand had on your outlook on creating content? Right. Because you were a content creator before this and a really good one. But like you said, Rand is prolific in his own right and almost feels like he invented a lot of the tactics that we all leverage. And so like, what type of, what is it like to work with him? I guess that's the most basic form of the question I'm trying to ask.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one, he is probably even kinder than you might think he is. (laughs) Like for as like kind and nice as he is, you know, in a podcast or on stage, he's like, he's even better as a human being. So there's that. But also I think there's He's a very empathetic person and is very much, he very much respects everybody's boundaries, including his own. I guess I'll say that too, because like he can create a ton of content. He can write a couple blog posts and record video and manage to join webinars and presentations and on stage conferences and podcasts and do all that in a week. Like it's kind of normal for him, but he doesn't expect anyone else to do that at that same level right he's not like gosh i did this why can't you do it like he would never say that so i think he's very respectful of those types of boundaries but also he gets it right like when i have writer's block and i'm like i can't do this blog post i just can't do it you know and he's like he gets it like and i think that's what's really important too when you when you work with certain marketing leaders if you're some kind of creator on a marketing team and you work with marketing leadership who isn't any kind of creator, you know, I think it's hard for them to have more empathy for when you encounter certain roadblocks or when you encounter writer's block or when you just encounter things like, I just can't get creative today. I think it really helps to work with leadership who's also a creator in some way because they get it. Then you sort of can't get someone to empathize unless they truly have lived it too.
1: Right, yeah, and it's less transactional that way, like produce the piece, right? Just do the thing. Yeah, they get that human side to creating, which is hard, right, on good days. Tell me more about you and like that period. And I think in terms of like marketing influencers and people that I know, I feel like I've never seen anybody go from where you were to like 100,000 fo- that quickly. What do you credit that to? And like, what work do you think during that time?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. No one's ever asked me that like it's especially in that way. So there were a couple things like I did follow some of those like viral best practices of like make sure you have this attention grabbing hook, comment on other people's tweets so that you kind of boost your own impressions. Like that was the first tip. Like I think early on I spent more time commenting on other people's tweets or like LinkedIn posts rather than focusing on creating my own content. And then the other thing I did was I also focused on high signal to noise. I mean, I get value is subjective, but like what's in my opinion, what I thought was something worth saying. I think some people might say like, test a bunch of content and see what works. And I think I would directionally agree with that, but it's also not really what I did. I think I was still only tweeting once to twice a day, five days a week or six days a week so I wasn't even tweeting every day. I was focusing more on what can I say today that I think is really worth saying that I would stand by for not forever, but like for a long time versus just tweeting about a random hot take about a brand, right? So my reasoning there was also just based on my own behavior as far as how I follow other people. So like my thinking was, well, I'll boost my impressions by posting on other people like in my niche like, on their tweets. I will tweet some of my own stuff, but then I want anybody going to my profile to see like, "Oh, okay, this person tweets like every day, but she doesn't go off the rails and she doesn't retweet a bunch of random stuff like 10 times an hour."
1: <laughs> right.
0: That was like my hypothesis or my thinking of like I don't follow back people who tweet more than like 3 times a day cuz it's just too much in my feed and I can't handle that. <laughs> so that was kind of how i did it and then i guess the other thing i would credit is honestly i think a big part of it was i think there's a big appetite for people to see more diversity in the sort of creator thought leader space i don't want to get all like high horsey about it or because it's not even about like let's all have a dni strategy for our own consumption it's not even that but i think it was refreshing to people to see like oh, this is kind of interesting. Like, we don't normally see a lot of, like, Filipino-American marketers talking about marketing. So that's kind of what I think. I don't have any proof of that, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. From an outsider's perspective, what was one of the things that was impressive about your growth was that you could tell that you didn't compromise on your own value. Like, it never seemed like you were gaming anything. Like, your content has been the same from when I first started following you till now. I mean, maybe there's more now, right? But, like the tone of it and like your, the level of thought that you could tell goes into this stuff. And I think that's the thing that's like one of the most impressive parts of it was that, I don't know, it feels like you have conviction in the way that you do it and you're not going to change it. And I just feel like there's a level of authenticity that you have that most people in marketing don't. And it just feels like there's a lot of talking heads. You don't feel like that.
0: Oh, I appreciate that.
1: I mean, I didn't have you come on the podcast just to build you up, but like, that's, as a friend, like, observing, like, that's how it's always felt to me. And it's like, oh, more people just see that now. and That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think, well, that, that was also very intentional, right? Like, I had wanted to be a creator, like, a blogger or something for the longest time. And I've had, like, all these little false starts. So I guess the other thing to I would say is, like, I've been a journalist Food writer ish and then content marketer and marketing generalist for my whole career, not just the marketing career. Like it spanned 10, 12 years before I ever started tweeting, really. So it's also like, well, I'm kind of old, but like, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, right? And I've, so maybe it's, I've spent more time wanting to do this and not doing it than I have actually been creating. And That has led to so much overthinking, which I'm sure you can imagine. And so once I finally did start publishing publicly, the biggest thing for me was like, I'm so self-conscious, like people are going to hate me. Like I'm scared that I'll say the wrong thing or that they'll say I'm wrong, even though I think I'm right. So I think what I sort of intuitively did was focus on the authenticity and focus on things that I knew well like things that I have either firsthand experience in because I've done the thing and I've seen the results or things I I just know very well from like knowing a situation or a person or a given marketing function super well. And so that's what I write about. Like you'll never see me write some kind of outside in looking case study of like, here's how Canva created their SEO mode. Like I have no idea how they did it. And like, I'm not going to pretend to know. And I would never do that because I didn't work at Canva.
1: <laughs> no one else does either, unless you work at Canva and did. The- yeah, no one else does either.
0: Yeah, exactly. So like, that's the kind of stuff I stayed away from. And I guess to your point, I think people appreciated that. And I think where that helped me is it makes what I say more defensible. Because when I talk about a thing that I've tested, and if somebody says like, well, that's not what I saw. I'd say, "Okay, like." Then you're right. But like, I'm also right.
1: (laughs) I was going to say that it's things that you can't be wrong about necessarily because it's your experience and it's your observations and you're not like stating absolute facts. So you can't necessarily be wrong, but other people could have different experiences. Right. So it's like, yeah, this is interesting. Like, when you said that, like, this wasn't on my initial list of questions, obviously. But when you talked about that feeling of you thought about it for longer than you've actually been doing it, what made you finally break through? And, Like, what was it that finally inspired you, motivated you, reduced that level of fear? Like, what was it?
0: Yeah. So in like April, May 2020, right, the kind of early part of the pandemic, I was furloughed from my job, along with like 90% of the company, you know, furloughed indefinitely. And at this point in my career, like I had been laid off. I had been unhappy in jobs. I've quit and had no plan. And... The through line was I was always like uploading my resume into an ether, trying to network with recruiters, asking friends for favors. I think I had just reached a point where I was just sick of doing that. Like it was exhausting. Like every time I was trying to job hunt, it was like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. This sucks. And everyone who's job hunting knows how much it sucks. So there was that. And then at the same time, I had applied for the role at Growth Machine, where the founder, Nat Eliason, had been the face of the company. And kind of part of the role was like, how do we make the company less dependent on his personal brand and just more like about the company? So part of it was, well, one, we can like hire a new person, right? I, I was that new person. And I think a lot of it too is just by the nature of the agency, like, When you work at an agency, like you're not going to spend a lot on marketing or advertising budget, right? So a lot of it was just organic marketing. And also like a lot of it was being inspired by Nat himself, right? He had built a personal brand. So I was sort of like, well, I could, maybe I could do that too. So the other thing was, so first it was being exhausted with a traditional job hunting like path. Two, it was trying to make marketing more sustainable for the agency, for growth machine. and then actually starting to see traction. And then like, once you start to see some traction, it makes it more fun. And then it quickly kind of graduated to like, this is cool. Like I never want to do a traditional job hunt again.
1: And you haven't since, right? Like, the, I guess you wouldn't call Toro anything but traditional, right? That's funny you say that because I had a similar experience when I started this podcast in 2015 and I got hired a few episodes in. I got high, poached away from the job I was at. I was in the agency world and I interviewed Justine Jordan, who was the head of marketing at Litmus, later became the VP of marketing. And I don't know, a month after I had her on the show, she reached out to me and said, Hey, so we're actually looking for a head of growth. We had a really good conversation. And like, would you entertain the idea of like coming up here and like meeting a few people? And I was like, Yeah. And so my break into SaaS was because of this podcast. And I remember at that point, like, I wish I could say I had the foresight ahead of time to say, like, I never want to have a traditional job search again, but I didn't have to send in a resume. Everything already preceded me because they had listened to the podcast. They saw that I had built this up on my own. And from that point on, I was like, I never want to, like, I don't have a resume. And it's a point of pride. I don't have one. If somebody came to me and was like, oh, can you submit your resume? I was like, I don't, I don't have a resume. And I don't plan on writing one. And so I relate to that. I could relate to that ambition to just like, yeah, I don't, I want people to come to me. I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Yeah. What was the inflection point for you in going from Litmus to Databox? Because I want to ask this in a better way than just, why did you change jobs?
1: But that's the honest question, right? So, if the, so from Litmus to Databox? Yeah. Well, there was layoffs. I mean, so right when I had started, they had raised $49 million of private equity, hence them hiring a head of growth. They had grown to almost, I think, 20 million ARR, like without any, like almost not, I don't want to say by accident, but they had such good product market fit. Like every brand is sending emails. Every brand knows like, oh, if, if a link breaks in an email or whatever, like those are dollars, right? So every brand knows the value of emails. So testing your emails before you send them was, especially for big brands, Nike, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, like all these big brands, right? Not Geo. So anyways, they had raised a lot of money and I don't think the necessarily the infrastructure was in place maybe in terms of like leadership. I feel like there was a layer of leadership missing that was then installed like a year and a half, two years in. And of course, when they came in, they had their own ideas on how they wanted to build out their teams and their companies. And so there was a lot of layoffs. So that was actually a result of a layoff at that time. But then again, yeah, like I think I posted about, like, hey, that I'm, you know, basically on the market. And I had all my conversations were people who had reached out to me. One of them being, you know, Pete Caputa at Databox. Yeah, I didn't have to do the traditional job hunt, send in resumes, hope people call me, It was just, yeah, relying on the network and the audience that I had been building up over the course of, I don't know, at that point, it would have been like five, six years or something like that, so.
0: Were you already doing some good content then or that come a little bit later?
1: No, that didn't come until 2020.
0: Oh, okay, oh.
1: Until summer of 2020, yeah, so.
0: I didn't realize it was that new then because I was an early adopter. I was a subscriber, I think it was like July, 2020.
1: You were an OG, yeah. It would have been like August, so yeah.
0: Oh, okay. How funny. I think I just kind of assumed that was around for a while and I was just like, "Ah, I'm just going to join now. But yeah.
1: The first time I ever made something myself was the Louder Than Words podcast. And like you said, you kind of get bit by this bug that like you make something yourself, you put it out into the world yourself, it gets engagement or whatever. It makes money, whatever it is, right? And when that happens, I feel like a level of confidence is built up within you experience all these things right that you could take to your job uh it's valuable to your like your day job but also like the next thing for me i think the next logical step was like the community aspect of it and yeah that's where some good content the patreon came from and then later the free newsletter and now the podcast. it's like everything's coming full circle now the podcast i had to bring this podcast back and like nest it underneath the good content brand because it means too much to me because of like what it signifies in my own career so yeah that's a good question this is like, this is a dual podcast. <laughs>
0: this is my show now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: this is my show. I am the host now. Something interesting that we've talked about once when I did an interview of you and Rand for the Good Content Newsletter. I want to say back in like Q4 of last year. And it was by far the most well received. It was all about content brands and brands that aren't necessarily operating in a transactional mode all the time when they create content. And SparkToro, although you know it's a younger company in comparison to like maybe some of the other examples I use, I feel like embody that because Rand often talks about like traditional marketing attribution being BS, trust your gut more, and SparkToro, you guys publish, I use this example all the time, the holiday gift guide, which doesn't really tie back to SparkToro at all, right? It's just something that you both enjoy writing and putting together. I don't know, like how does working within that sort of philosophy like, how does that influence the type of content that you create now, both personally for Sparktoro? Like, how is that? I don't want to say RAND, but just working within that sort of environment. Like, how does that just, yeah, influence the content that you create?
0: I feel like it's more fun, right? Because it it kind of allows us to operate based more on vibes than anything else, (laughs) which I know is a terrible, like, (laughs) that's not good advice. But that's honestly, though, my informal way of saying it is based on audience research. I mean, in the case of the food and drink guide, that really is something we think is fun. We have a lot of strong opinions about that we believe are well-reasoned, right? Like we're, we're very picky about what we buy. We're very passionate about food and drink. So like it's stuff that we think about a lot and have researched a lot just personally. So it feels like a natural extension of Our interests, right? So there's that. But as far as the content in general goes, like, well, one, we don't we don't have like an editorial calendar of like, great, this is based on these keywords and like this thing. It's more based on audience research, meaning like, what are the things that our customers are asking us a lot? What are the things that other B two B marketers are talking about a lot? What have been like some of the like high engagement or viral posts recently that we might have an opinion on? So that's vibes, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would look on a slide deck. Yeah, to to sell it to your CEO, vibes. Yeah, good vibes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, vibes. But it's based on like things that are happening, right? Or if we get like the same question from a customer or SparkToro user, the same question three times in a span of like three weeks, we notice that, right? We're like, oh, that's interesting. Like more people are asking about this thing, whether it's like a, a functionality in SparkToro, in which case, we might break that out into a blog post that's more like, here's how to do this like marketing tactic or this r- research tactic in general, but here's also how you can do it in SparkToro. So we pay attention to that. And where this works well for us too is that it's also driven by our interests, right? Like If we see like some kind of high engagement social media post that we might really agree with or might really disagree with, that's a fun place to start writing from right? And then you have something to reference. I think it makes it such that more people in our target audience are interested in consuming that content.
1: Right. A couple things I want to follow up on that you just said. The first one being that I found interesting. So you don't have like the traditional editorial calendar. Here's the keyword we're targeting, et cetera, et cetera. So what is, do you already know what you're going to be publishing next month? No. <laughs> so talk about that. Like it almost feels silly to ask that because that's not what you value, right? It's not like we have to hit this many posts. It's more about when you have something to say. At least that's, that's how it comes across. Does that sound about right?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think we try to do some things like we have regular publishing cadences, like the Audience Research Newsletter goes out every other Thursday. Like, that's just how it is. So it's going to go out two days from now, which means I'm going to start writing it today, finalize it tomorrow, good to go. Rand recently started a series called Five Minute Whiteboard, which he aims to publish every Wednesday but you know, it doesn't have to be Wednesday, but that's like the deadline that he hits because it probably helps him with his own workflow. We have some of those things in place. It's the blog posts that are really more based on when we have time slash when we're moved by something. And that one, like, it's the blog that has, like the lead time is like a day or two, where it's like, I'm working on a a post right now about threads, because we did a survey recent, over the weekend. And I wanted to like share the, the survey results. And it started out as like an early guide, not like an actual like strategy guide, but more of like, here's how to start thinking about a strategy if you are thinking one, about one. But then we took a step back and we're like, are people even thinking about this? So we thought it would be interesting to sh- show like, hey, in this survey, about 300 marketers took the survey. 70% of them haven't even claimed their company account yet. And that was roughly the statistic. So I thought thought that was interesting. It was something like over 70% of people who took our survey claimed their personal threads account, but also over 70% did not claim their company account.
1: I mean, that makes sense, right? People experiment before brands come on, right? They're sort of more lagging.
0: Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that I thought I was going to see more people who did claim the account, but just haven't posted yet.
1: Right. Yeah. I guess claiming it and starting to engage with are two different things. So you would think, yeah you would at least claim it. I noticed, cause I think I was on there like the first night, which was the most surreal experience because everyone on there, it's like walking into a party and being like, Oh, you're here. Oh, Hey, yeah. Oh, you came. And like the really early, and this doesn't happen that often anymore. Like 10 and 15 years ago, there was like a new social network. It seemed like every month, but this doesn't happen at this scale anymore. And so like, like all the early people were just talking about the tool itself. <laughs> like they were just talking about threads and the conversations were very like archaic from a social media standpoint. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like I'm eating pasta. How does this work? Like everybody's first tweet and everybody's first Facebook post. And so like, I don't know, it just had a, a really cool, like going back to the vibes, it had a really cool vibe that first night. And I noticed, cause you were on there. And then like Spark Toro was on there. So it must've been like you claimed the account. It must've been like you claiming the account.
0: Yeah, I did. I think that
1: was the first brand I saw on there was Toro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I posted like-
1: So nicely done.
0: Yeah, like twice. But yeah, I, I claimed it a couple hours after mine. I think like when I claimed my account, I was around user like 300,000-ish. And then a few hours later when I claimed the SparkToro one, it was like already over a million. So it's pretty wild, yeah.
1: That's wild. Yeah, if you were like under a million and now it's like, what is it now? I don't even know.
0: It's like over 150 million, I think.
1: Yeah, that's wild. So if you were under, like, that's crazy. That's like, they were still turning the lights on. Do you continue to log into it every day?
0: I do. I think it's interesting to see how the conversation has already started to shift more towards like like a Twitter-esque conversation of just people talking about things now. And the algorithm is improving. I'm seeing more content from people I follow. It's not perfect. We'll have new features launching. Are you still logging in?
1: Yeah, I am. What's funny too, is that like, because it's integrated with Instagram and like my Instagram is more of like a personal account. So, you know, like you could auto-follow everybody. And I didn't do that because I'm like a lot of these people I went to college with or high school, like I don't post about content on my Instagram, but a lot of them are following me. And so I'm like, this is going to be weird. Like in a fun way, like they've never seen me post about They're gonna be like, what is John talking about? Like, and so it's like I saw somebody post about how it's like the first time that your personal and professional networks are like colliding in a way that could be interesting. (laughs) But yeah, I'm still logging in because mostly I'm just I'm curious about it. I don't know. It's early. It feels cool. But I have noticed. Yeah, like how are you use? Are you just posting what you post on Twitter, or do you post anything different on Threads that you don't post on Twitter? Like how are you?
0: I've been posting more about threads on threads, not so much on Twitter. I've been cross posting a little bit of the content just to see. And then I wanted to try testing, um, posting a thread. So I published a thread on threads on Saturday. So it was a weekend, right? And I posted like, um, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm packing my hospital bag. Here's what I'm bringing. And then I had some screenshots of like the products that I was bringing. And it's, by the way, this is all true. Like, this is what I'm actually doing. <laughs> it's not like just a test. Right. But I was curious about like, I wonder if this will perform well because it's lifestyle content, which is kind of more Instagram-y than Twitter-y. I have like over a thousand followers. So like, that's not nothing. And it performed very poorly. <laughs> it got like 10 likes and like one comment. Now I'm going to try posting it on Twitter. Maybe I'll do it on Friday when it feels like, more weekend vibey
1: that'll do well there
0: maybe i mean we'll see
1: yeah it could have been the time too maybe the weekend but who knows yeah
0: yeah who knows but i I thought it was interesting to test because i was like i would think that threads would want to prioritize threads like thread content
1: you would think yeah
0: yeah maybe the content wasn't that good you know that's fine too i had like this like very very like vague hypothesis that like maybe this is what threads wants it's also lifestyle content It's, you know, broadly relatable, I think. And I think I had enough novelty in there that I thought was worth looking at. Like my list wasn't like, I'm bringing my toothbrush. It was like, (laughs) you know, like a particular type of shirt for the baby, like the side snap shirts. Those are great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The side snap shirts are great. Most things that snap are not. And, uh, but yeah, zippers all the way. Oh yeah. (laughs) That is interesting. It, I don't think the algorithm knows what it is yet. So it'll be interesting to see how it changes as you go. But it is like, yeah, it's an exercise in humility. Cause yeah, right now it's so early that you'll post something on there and nobody will engage at all. And you'll be like, okay, nobody cared about that. But it's almost like meta is so big that it can't fail. But I also don't think Twitter is going anywhere either. So it'll be interesting to see like how that shakes out. The one other thing I wanted to ask you about was like, what has to happen for you to be inspired to put pen to paper on anything? Proverbial, could be a recording, could be a Twitter thread, I'm interested in creators like you who are governed more about like what interests you necessarily like keywords and stuff like that. I'm interested in like what criteria for you needs to be met for you to feel like this thing that I want to make is necessary and I'm going to create it.
0: This used to be having a deadline. Like it used to, like what used to be the effective forcing function for me was we publish on Thursdays. That's just what we do. That doesn't work for me anymore because, (laughs) and I don't even do this on purpose. It's just kind of like how I'm thinking now. It's some combination of novelty and clarity of like, is this idea, this concept, whatever, this topic, is this novel for the audience? And can I communicate this in a clear way? Which makes it a lot harder to publish.
1: (laughs) And you have to spend a lot of time thinking about it to get to the point where it's where it's clear. At least I do, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And then there are times that I will be thinking about a given idea for months on end and then suddenly it'll get published one day. Like around this time last summer, I published my blog post on zero click
1: content. I knew that's where you were going, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was something that I had it as a concept in my content marketing 201 course where I was teaching concepts about it like as early as January 2022 and I had just never like written it down and I mentioned it in passing to Rand in conversation he was like what did you say I was like yeah you know like zero click content it's content that like is native to the platform blah, 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 blah. and he was like that's interesting he's like tell me more and so I kind of just I was like yeah you know because the algorithms and this and this and he was like you should write this as a blog post I was like I don't think this is a blog post I think that was a sentence. And he was like, that's a blog post, please write it, okay?
1: (laughs) Blog post is made up of many sentences, so that's that's a good start.
0: (laughs) And I was like, I guess so. And then it took me a couple days, but then once it was out, it was out. And so I guess what I'm calling out was like, it was an idea that I was thinking about for like maybe six to nine months before I actually wrote it down as a blog post, which took me a couple days, and then it was out. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you say that time that 9 months, that feels like it was probably necessary, right? For you to to clarify it in your mind and make sense of it in a way that ended up, right? Like being able to be relatable to a lot of people. Do you think that, like that's an important piece of just the whole journey?
0: For me it is. Yeah. I think having the time to just percolate on it, turn the idea over in my head a bunch of times and then like Even just subconsciously looking for examples of the like concrete examples of the concept so that once I start writing it down, like, like because when I started writing that blog post, the first draft that I had was pretty close to the final draft, right? So it wasn't even like, ah, here's an outline. I don't know what to do next. It was like, oh, here's the blog post. It's like 95% done. Ran, can you review it? So I guess I would say it could take me forever to write something but once I start writing it it's already the near final version.
1: Right. Yeah, because you've spent so much time already iterating on it in your head. I had a similar experience with the whole concept of content brands. It was something I had been thinking about for a long time. I never really knew how to describe it. Was it's like there's brands like ProfitWell and Wistia and SparkToro and Drift in its early days who They create this following of people who may or may not even be buying from them, but they're recommending the tool because of the content. And like, I was like that with Wistia. I used Wistia for, or I didn't use Wistia. I didn't pay for Wistia. Like it took me five, six years, but I would recommend it to other people. I would talk about Wistia. I would reference Wistia because their content was so good. And I was essentially a customer of their content. And I don't know, I've been noodling on that. Like, I would think about it when I was on runs, like I'd be exercising and it would pop into my head. And then finally, like in the definition, like brands that create content so good that they build a loyal following, even from people who might not ever buy from them. That just like came into my head. And I was like, it's still not perfect to me, but like that communicated what I was trying to say. And I don't think I could have, if I just was like, all right, sit down and write the blog post about that initial spark of an idea. I don't know that I would have been able to communicate it or articulate it and worse, I don't know if I would have kept exploring it because I'm like, all right, it's on paper now. It's down next thing. Like, I don't know that I would have kept exploring it. And I think that's where the magic happens. If you hadn't kept exploring in that zero click idea, used it in your course, kept riffing on it in your own mind. And then what became of zero click content? Like I was a data box. People would reference that all the time that didn't even know you. They'd be like, Oh, zero click. I was like, and i would be like, Oh, like a man. And if, it's like, Oh, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> funny. That's who coined it. (laughs) Like that's who coined the phrase zero click content. So it's like, and I know not everybody has that luxury, right? To spend that much time noodling on an idea. But I think that that piece for me too, I relate to that. It's an important part. I need to clarify it in my own head before I could really make sense of it and like make it a thing.
0: Totally. And well, maybe the things that we are intuitively doing is kind of chopping it up into smaller examples, because maybe along the way, as you were thinking about content brands, you were already bringing up like, hey, ProfitWell is really good at this. Here's how ProfitWell did that. Like, here's how they use data to convey this value proposition, where you might not be thinking like it's a lead up to content brands, right? But along the way, as you're kind of building towards that, you start just kind of naturally thinking about tangentially related ideas and those kind of surface first.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think being in tune with that is probably the most important thing we could do as creators is like being in tune with like, what's the bigger story happening? At least that's what I've tried to do now. It's like, yeah, like you just said, those examples you keep going back to, why? Like what's different about them? And I think SparkTour was a good example. I think, like I said earlier, while younger than some of those other companies I reference as examples, it feels like the brand embodies like that. Like one thing that's, I don't know what the right word is, funny to me is like, how often do you guys talk about SEO? Like Rand Fishkin, right? Like what was the metric he sort of coined at Moz? Was it domain rank or domain authority, whatever it is?
0: He has the patent on domain authority.
1: Right, so it's like, Rand is like, I don't know, one could say like the godfather of SEO, right? Or whatever you wanna say, right? But it doesn't sound like that's a huge part of the strategy.
0: No, it's not. (laughs) I think a big part of it is like, yeah, you know, we logged into Moz or I, I logged into Moz and was like, what are some keywords we can go after? And like, a lot of it is like, we can't just like rank for marketing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then I started looking for other keywords and like things like audience research or like, no one's really searching for that yet. So that's one tough thing. Yeah, we care a lot about branded search, like people looking for us, but it will share is a little bit random. In that first lunch that I had with Rand, in which I pitched to join the team, at the very end of our meeting, I was like, by the way, I'm not really that good at SEO. <laughs> I just like <laughs> kind of had this moment of panic. I was like, I'm not really that good at it. And he was like, we'll be fine. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> He's like, that's okay. I was like, okay, I just thought you should know that. Like It's not like my strong
1: suit. I <laughs> feel like I should get that out of the way. Yeah, to you. Yeah. That's interesting, though, that the tool itself is novel. And so the search volume, right, maybe isn't, although you could argue like audience research, like people are, that's not a new idea, but I love that too. And especially now I've talked to a bunch of SaaS founders that are concerned about what the hell is going to happen with SEO, with AI and commoditizing like the traditional, like how to post and the educational content. And again, I don't think it's going to go to zero. Like a lot of these you know, influencers like to pontificate about like oh, educational content is going to go to zero. What are you preparing? I don't think anything ever goes completely away unless it's like Google Glass or something like that. That went away. And what was what was their social network?
0: Google Plus.
1: Google Plus. Yeah, those went away. Those went to zero. But like, I don't think it's going to go to zero. But there's a lot of concern about it. And so yeah, it's and I think the companies that invest more in like the content brand stuff, like like Spark, I, I just think they're already going to be miles ahead and people follow you that like, I don't use SparkToro yet, but I follow the content. I'm a fan. I would refer it to other people. I think that's the idea. And there's a few handful of brands out there doing it right. And it's fun to follow those. And those are the ones that inspire me personally. So yeah. So, but it's super interesting to me, the part about SEO and and it not being, I think I asked Rand that as part of that newsletter series. And he said something similar, like, well, there's not a ton of search volume yet. And also your tool Like relies more on like the whole value prop of the tool is like leveraging audience research to see what like who the folks are in your space that are talking about certain things. Like so, you're you're kind of like I hate the term, but like dog fooding. That's the approach you're taking, right? More of like yeah, pretty much the research element and like using your tool to sort of prove out like that's the direction rather than SEO. So that makes sense, but still, it's fun. It's a little wild to think about, but makes it more fun, I'm sure, because having a, a spreadsheet full of keywords to create content around wasn't inspiring for me and i'm sure it's for many marketers feel the same way so
0: yeah and i mean like you know there's also a time and a place for that right like sometimes maybe if you're in a very well-defined niche it's fun because there have been you know i mean it's not to say that i don't think that that's valuable right it just isn't the approach we're taking right now but there's still value in it. it just depends on your situation depends on your niche depends on your marketing strategy all that stuff
1: Depends. That's the advice every marketer should give everybody. Will this work? Should I do that? It depends. It depends. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on and helping me kick back off the Louder Than Words podcast. Couldn't think of anyone better to have as like the new first guest after all these years. So thank you for coming on and helping me kick it off.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I do have a final question for you.
1: Oh, let's do it.
0: Since this is now my show. I would like to ask you, <laughs> what do you think you're going to do differently this time with Louder Than Words than you did the first time around?
1: So the funny thing is like the premise of the show is even more, I think, acute now, like the challenge. Like back then I launched a show thinking like most companies were just publishing words and great marketing was louder than words, right? It's not just, you know, writing 500 words or certain keywords or optimizing, right? There's more than that. There's a certain level of magic that needs to happen in what you create, and it goes beyond just the words and the paper. Now, all these years later, people are writing scripts for podcasts, scripts for video. AI is literally commoditizing words. You don't even have to write them yourself. And so I think the premise of the show is even more, I don't know, relevant now. In terms of what I'm doing differently, I think the tilt of the angle is going to focus more on content. Back then, I had, you know, Austin Kleon, who's, I mean, one of my favorite authors, Steal Like an Artist. Seth Godin, I mean, they're all content creators, but the focus back then was more on like company growth, like Jason Fried from Basecamp and talking about like how they grew Basecamp and the things that worked. I was a head of growth at the time at a SaaS company. So that's where my my conversations naturally went in that direction, growing SaaS companies. Now it's gonna be more zeroed in and focused on content, which is my passion, my wheelhouse, as I've grown in my career, the thing I like to be focused on. The most early on in my career, I was like, I don't want to be known as like the content guy. I'm a head of growth now. I'm a head of marketing now. I do so much more. You know that meme, the dimwit meme? (laughs) Yeah. That's like you use Apple Notes and then in the like low IQ uses Apple Notes. In the middle, you're using Notion and all these different things, and then high IQ. You're back to Apple Notes. Like I feel like my career has followed that trajectory, whereas like low IQ, like I'm just a content, I'm just a writer. Middle CRO, I'm a head of growth. Like I do all these things. I'm not just Now I'm like high IQ at the end. I'm like, I'm a writer. I'm a content person at heart. And I was a writer long before I was a marketer. So yeah, the show is going to focus primarily on like the content brands create and specifically brands like SparkToro, people like you that are just doing things differently and you're creating content, creating work that's louder than words. So I'm sure that'll get more refined over time but that's kind of how I'm thinking about it right now.
0: That's awesome. I'm so excited to watch this journey unfold.
1: Yeah, thank you for being a part of it. And uh, we'll have to have you on again once the premise gets even more sharp. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and being the first. Yeah. Awesome. Louder than words.